From CSR Box, I am Deepak Nanda, and this is Impact Talk podcast. In this episode, with Trisha Ghosh, Project Director, the Habitat Trust, we talk about the Habitat Trust grant program for conservationists, the threats to biodiversity, and what is being done to make sure we do not lose the rare species forever. Thank you so much for joining us, Trisha. Thank you for having me here, Deepak. Um, it's a pleasure to be here and to be chatting with you today. Please tell us briefly about the Habitat Trust and its mission, and how did you come to be associated with it? So, the Habitat Trust was established in 2018 by Mr. Roshni Nadim Malhotra, who is the Executive Director and CEO of HCL Corporation. Uh, the aim of the trust is to protect India's natural habitats and indigenous species of flora and fauna. and our mission is to create and conserve sustainable ecosystems through strategic partnerships and collaborations with stakeholders at every level with this in mind our work is focused under four pillars the first is strategic partnerships the second is sustainable on ground projects the third is awareness generation and the fourth is technology for conservation i myself uh, joined habitat trust as its first ever employee and i've been with the trust since june of 2018 now you had a decade long experience in biodiversity conservation how do you see that experience helping you in tht's mission at tht we work as a team and any success we achieve is attributed to the mutual respect we share for one another's vision and ideas to share my personal experience over the years that i've been working with biodiversity i've been fortunate to visit some of the country's most elusive landscapes and learn from eminent conservationists i've also had the opportunity to work on a range of subjects from human wildlife conflict to anti poaching and trade this experience has allowed me to contribute to tht's strategy and trajectory and in the two years since the trust was established we've created an identity for ourselves as an organization that focuses on lesser known species and lesser known habitats this is in part due to the understanding i had i gained during my time in this space that these less gra- glamorous species and landscapes just don't receive the same level of conservation attention with amphibians for example going extinct before we even discover them and thriving habitats like coral reefs being wiped out at unprecedented rates today as part of tht's mandate uh, we raise awareness and work towards the conservation of these lesser norms talking about your exposure and your work on ground so what do you think are the real challenges in biodiversity conservation in india right now and where is it headed in terms of the whole process and people coming together for the cause i believe that the biggest threat to biodiversity in the country and across the globe is undeniably habitat loss degradation and fragmentation according to wwf's living planet report since 1970 the indo-pacific region has lost 64% of its species populations changing land use patterns are a key driver for such species declines We have ravaged our wild spaces in the name of development and left unchecked we risk not only losing the essential natural resources we rely on for our existence but also opening ourselves up to more conflict with wildlife and zoonotic diseases. We must be wary of concepts like urban forestry and compensatory afforestation. While these are great in theory, the underlying reality remains that we cannot replicate the complex ecosystems and symbiotic relationships that exist within natural habitats that have evolved over centuries the need of the hour is to invest in exploring and creating projects that focus on development and conservation going hand in hand now coming back to the habitat trust mission and the kind of work that you people are doing in investing in biodiversity conservation how is it that 
you go about selecting these projects and how do you prioritize the same so as mentioned earlier we try to direct as much of our funding as possible into protection of our lesser known habitats and species in addition to that for every project we consider we have drawn out a set of seven parameters that we analyze to evaluate potential projects uh the first is project relevance and importance so does the project address key conservation issues in the context of the target landscape which is your endangered flora and fauna existing and upcoming threats to wildlife and the habitat and existing conservation measures in place the second is the status of the target habitat or species so how critical is the conservation status of the target habitat or species that the project proposes to conserve we use iucn red list and the indian wildlife protection act to help us in this assessment the third would be methodology so is there a pragmatic activity plan based on field experience or scientific research to achieve the proposed objectives fourth is stakeholder involvement does the project reach out to key stakeholders such as the forest department enforcement agencies local communities farmers students etc the fifth would be your monitoring and evaluation mechanisms so are there any measures or indicators in place to assess the impact of the proposed project sixth is the expected impact and sustainability So how strong is the expected impact of the project and is there a long term sustainability plan built into the project Finally in the case of partnerships which we look at under the Habitats Trust grants we have one additional parameter which is the strength and capacity to deliver of the applicant Under this parameter we study in depth and detail the applicant profile with respect to the relevant programmatic experience in the field collaborations with concerned stakeholders past projects and past donors as a part of the habitat trust portfolio like you mentioned you work with a lot of communities and on ground organizations like ngos so how has that experience been for you so it's been a truly inspiring experience to work with some of the most knowledgeable and dedicated conservationists from across the country i can honestly say that i learn something new each time i interact with our partners and what i find amazing is that no matter how many times they've had to explain their work to donors in the past Every time they talk about what they do and the species that they work with you can hear the unwavering passion in their voices and their words. THT has also provided a unique platform to bring conservationists from remote parts of the country together under one roof through our grants program. This is perhaps my favorite time of the year because I get to be a fly on the wall and listen in as these experts share their ideas and methodologies with one another and explore the possibility of collaborations. As much as the grants program is about funding It was equally created to promote this kind of knowledge sharing. Now what are the few areas where you think India's non-profits like you mentioned the exposure that you had with them still need to build on I just want to start by saying that in every sector non-profits are doing amazing work for the country. They are experts in their respective fields and it shows through their carefully thought out projects. However, I do feel there are a few areas we could strengthen our actions. The first is monitoring and evaluation. This is an essential component of a project that not only reassures donors but gives us as non-profits the opportunity to analyze whether our methods are working and if not what changes can we make to be more effective. And monitoring must go beyond pre-work and post-work surveys. It should be a continuous process with quantifiable indicators tied into our every objective and activity that we plan to carry out on the field the second is descriptive and balanced budgets the line items in our budgets may seem obvious to us but often our readers are are not working in the same sector and a lot of the language can seem alien to them it is important for us to describe our proposed expenditure in as much detail as possible this not only communicates a sense of transparency 
but also gives potential donors the confidence that we know exactly where their money is being utilized the third would be communication in a busy world where electronic communication is increasingly replacing face to face interactions the ability to communicate your work in a coherent and concise manner has become essential you could be doing great work on ground but if that doesn't translate onto the page in proposals and reports it becomes difficult to acquire and retain donors so it's really worth the investment to engage a communications resource to help with your doc- with documentation of your efforts finally and most importantly understand and research your donors even the most well thought out project will get passed over unless it ties into the donor's vision so before writing any grant proposal spend some time understanding your donor's priority areas past work that they've supported and their goals as a funding agency this will allow you to adjust your project plan to incorporate these essential elements that will give you a leg up on the competition as a part of your work how do you connect with the communities that you mentioned in the previous question and what are the programs and what could be the ways to ensure better life and livelihood for these communities who are still dependent on forests and forest produce so engaging forest communities is an essential component of our project planning and we believe that the success of any conservation initiative is dependent on this key stakeholder we hope to garner the support of these communities by providing them access to quality healthcare and education These are basic services which unfortunately in some remote areas are not easily accessible. With respect to livelihood creation to reduce forest dependency, this is a tricky one. What we must remember is that people from these communities have access to the same flood of social media, news and entertainment that we consume in the cities. And so their aspirations are at par with ours. We must keep this in mind when developing livelihood options to ensure the success of such initiatives. We need to work towards providing employment opportunities that can help these communities realize their aspirations for a dig- for a dignified and metropolitan life which is often easier said than done. Now talking about uh these people living a dignified life and then having access to the kind of media or things that we have access to how do you see Indian media's role in biodiversity conservation and bringing the real stories out? So I believe that the media has great power to influence biodiversity conservation owing to its ability to reach wide audiences as well as key decision makers. But as they say with great power comes great responsibility. I remember when I first entered this in this space biodiversity issues were footnotes very deep into the middle pages of newspapers. Today it's really heartening to see that these issues are being actively highlighted backed by well researched articles. The media has invested in building strong relationships with leading conservationists across the country and have played a huge part in giving them a voice often pushing out articles overnight to halt the ever escalating destruction of our biodiversity. What is your opinion on the micro influencers? So say someone like an Instagrammer who posts about these stories of biodiversity conservation because there are a lot of people who do that right now in this day and age. So what is your opinion on their work and how do you see them influencing the perception around biodiversity conservation? That's a great question. In this day and age where our lives are increasingly on social media, influencers have a very strong voice in generating awareness as well as quickly mobilizing support for biodiversity causes. With the click of a button, social media influencers can reach millions of followers from across the globe and this collective voice is hard to ignore. Another great tool that social media offers is the ability to provide crisp, illustrated, snackable content. In a world where time is of the essence and attention spans are limited, social media influencers have managed to find innovative ways 
whether it be campaigns live streams or fun filters to pique the interest of their audiences and engage them in action this translates to conservation action as well and lastly what excites you as a person for biodiversity conservation and still keeps you going on the same trajectory after so many years of working in this space for me every day i get to spend in the field renews my love and respect for our biodiversity this is not a field that i train for my educational background is in economics and management however at the same time it's not something that i accidentally fell into this is a career that i actively pursued because i cannot imagine living in a world where all our green spaces are tucked away and fenced off or where majestic animals like the rhino and the bustard are resigned to the pages of history books many scientists believe that we are currently on the precipice of the sixth mass extinction and i tend to agree with them this is a time for action and every small effort can help us change course that's what keeps me motivated and i truly believe that each one of us can make a difference moving on to the last bit of the conversation i'd like for you to provide say a one line advice for a particular set of people so what would be that one line of advice that you would give to a business leader so if you'd bear with me deepak i just want to provide some context and perhaps go over the one line limit um so when we're speaking to our business leaders when lockdown is lifted and we return to our daily lives the country is going to be looking to our business leaders to show us the way a way where we can conduct business in a more responsible and sustainable manner there is undeniable evidence that covid-19 like many other zoonotic diseases are linked to our unhealthy and exploitative relationship with our environment so my one line message to our business leaders is to relook at their structures and functions and to see whether they can make more environmentally conscious choices even if they may require slightly more investment it's an investment in our collective futures and what would be that one line of advice for csr heads csr is one of the strongest tools we have in the country to address the needs of the development sector to csr leaders i would say please prioritize biodiversity conservation alongside the great work that you're doing in health environment and education Uh, we live in an interdependent ecosystem as evidenced by numerous studies on the linkages be- between declining bee populations and loss of livelihood every creature on this planet exists as part of a delicate balance lose too many and the entire house of cards falls and lastly what would be that one line of advice for non-profit leaders my advice to non-profit leaders would be always be true to your cause especially in times of adversity remember that the work you're doing is invaluable and to always reach out and collaborate with organizations working in the same spaces because together we are so much stronger so that brings us to the close of the conversation thank you so much for joining us trisha it was wonderful learning your opinions about biodiversity conservation and the work that the habitus trust is doing thank you so much for having me deepak and i must say those were very relevant and insightful questions thank you for putting together such a wonderful set of questions it's been such a pleasure for me to be part of this initiative and to contribute in one small way thank you